Well, good morning. It's so good to be back with you today. I thought that as we were working our way through the Shorter Catechism that the, uh, the Ninth Commandment was quite fitting. As a reminder, it says that we are to maintain and promote truth between man and man. And as I crossed out of the state of Georgia this morning into South Carolina, the, one of the first billboards that greeted me was you were entering Gamecock country. And um, that, is, that is a violation <laughs> of the Ninth Commandment. And so, I, yes, I was growling. And uh, very, my brother, my, some of you may know my, my younger brother, Mark Cox. Now, he is a Gamecock. So he might take, uh, you know, might challenge me on that. But uh, certainly, I, that, that was not what I was wanting to see <laughs> as I came into my home state. At any rate, it's so good to be back with you. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, we're going to be considering a familiar parable of our Lord, and um, as you make your way to that place in God's Word, let's pray. Uh, Father, you are good and faithful and kind, yet again you have brought us to this place to feed us, to strengthen us. We pray that you would do those things. We pray that you would also cleanse us and convict us and remind us of the intensity, the depth, the stubbornness of your love. I would imagine that there are more than one or two that have entered into this place discouraged. Challenges in life, pressures, trials, and so as we read your word, we would ask that you would make us alive and that you would rest our hearts and that you would renew our hope. We ask that in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. So beginning at um, verse 1, this is Luke chapter 18, this is God's word for his people. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I fear or neither fear God nor respect man, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? 
As you know, I, I am a native of Anderson County. I grew up here. I grew up in L.A., Lower Anderson, on the way towards Broadway Lake Road, Belton, that area. That's where I grew up. Um, as a child, some of you, if you're not from Anderson, you may not know this, you may know this, but your Ingalls just across the way here, once upon a time was what? Kmart. It was Kmart. And as a child, that Kmart had the finest toy department on planet Earth. I loved it. I loved to go to Kmart, particularly with my grandfather. For a variety of reasons. I'm about to be a grandfather and, and prayerfully my granddaughter, coming granddaughter will understand this. Um, but what I did not like, there's one thing that I didn't like about that Kmart and, and that was this. That as the nine o'clock hour approached, the store manager would one by one, little by little, begin to turn off what? The lights. Okay, and so in one part of the department store, a light would go out, and then another light, and so on and so on. And, and so the, the store management was sending a, a very clear message, and that was get what you want, go to the cash register, check out, and leave because we're ready to go home. But that was not how I interpreted what was underway. What I, the way I interpreted it as a little child was, it is getting dark. The lights are going out, and I am about to be locked into this place. And so off I would go, sprinting with toys in hand to the front door. I totally bypassed the register. And so my parents would often tease, you know, there go, there go the lights, and there goes Stacy. None of us like to have the lights turned out on us. Were the lights to go out in this room, it, it would create an uneasiness, fearfulness. When the lights go out, we become anxious. Perhaps this morning, you feel like in your life, the lights are going out to one degree or another. You love God. You believe and trust his gospel. You read the Bible. You trust the Bible. But it feels like in your life that the lights are going out. And during those seasons of life, we know that that can often and so often feels so lonely. We read that in the call to worship. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far off from me? the cry of the psalmist there's a there's an abandonment that he is sensing in his life and we know that there are times in life if you've lived long enough where crises trials again will create that type of prayer and in those moments as you can see in the psalmist and what he prayed it's almost as if you were in a monologue that, that, that you're praying but the prayers aren't getting much further than beyond your lips they're missing the ears of God. You can see that in the cry of the psalmist. And, and inevitably, during that time, uh, the enemy, our enemy, the old devil, he will slither up beside you 
And he'll whisper, nobody cares. You are all alone. Or where is your God? You're just wasting your time. And Jesus knew this would happen. He knew that within every season like this, there is the temptation to, to escape, to want to escape, the temptation to walk away. He was a man of sorrows who sweat um, drops of blood in his own dark hour. And so what does he want us to understand as he gives this parable What does he want us to understand about the character of God? What does he want us to understand about the importance of persevering prayer? He could have just said, pray harder. Or or, or why why are you so fickle? Just pray. But that's not what he does. He gives a parable. He gives a story. He says, let me tell you a story. And there are two main characters in this story. You have a judge and you have a widow. And this judge, we read, was a man who cared nothing about God, cared nothing for the law of God, cared nothing about justice. He cared nothing about people. And so we think now you've got to place yourself in the shoes, in the sandals, of those standing, listening to Jesus that day. If you're one of those Jewish listeners that day, you're hearing Jesus describe this man, this judge, and you're sitting there thinking, this is not good. This is not good. But you know what? It gets worse. Because there's a widow. And again, if you're one of those Jewish Uh, listeners, you're sitting there going, good gracious. Not only do we have a corrupt judge, but we have a widow here. And a widow during the time of Christ was one that had zero resources. No influence. They were the last people that you would expect that would have a hearing before a judge. And this widow, remember, she's not coming to any old judge. She's not coming to Judge Wapner. She's coming to a judge who cared what? Nothing for God or for people. And Jesus says she keeps coming and she keeps coming and she keeps coming and she will not leave this judge alone. And finally, the judge says to himself, this woman is nagging me to death. She's driving me nuts. I can't, I can't get her off of my back. So just to, to alleviate all of this, I'm going to give her what she wants, good riddance. And Jesus says, listen, listen, listen to the message of this story. And there's at least four lessons that we can call out of what Jesus is teaching us here. At least four. And the first one is this. And Jesus is making this very clear to those who are paying attention. And that is, Christian, your God is not like this corrupt judge. Your heavenly father is not like this judge. 
What Jesus intends here is a contrast, not a comparison. He's not drawing a comparison between your father and this judge. He is drawing, this is a parable of contrast. If this shady judge will hear the prayer of this nagging widow, how much more will your heavenly father hear the prayers of his children? Jesus is, he knows how much pressure life can bring to a soul. He knows that we are needy. And he knows that during those seasons of pressure, during those seasons of trial, that our view of God can become distorted. As storms set in. As the fog of life sets in, he knows that our thinking can become distorted about the character and the person of God. And it's as if Jesus Jesus is saying, child, do you actually believe that your God is like this judge, that he's unconcerned about your well-being? He says, come on. Come on, I almost wonder. As I read this parable again, I almost wonder if Jesus is telling this parable with something almost of a smile on his face. To say, come on, you actually believe that your father is like this judge? This judge is selfish. This judge doesn't care a thing about this widow, and yet he gives her justice. Will not your father who loves you give you what you need? But here's the challenge, is that when we are between a rock and a hard place, there can be times when it is really hard to believe that. And so Jesus is reminding us, Christian child, listen, your God is more ready to hear your prayers. He is more ready to answer your prayers than you are to actually verbalize your prayers than you are to pray, to talk to Him. And again, if this unjust judge, if he does what is right by the widow, will he not much more do justice, or your Father do justice for you who is righteous? But Jesus doesn't just end there. He doesn't end with that. No, there's, there's more good news Because you see, not only is God not like this corrupt judge, but he reminds us you are not like the widow. You're not like the widow. We see here that she is a picture of persistence in prayer. She was getting no for an answer, and she keeps pounding and pounding and pounding and pounding. She keeps coming at him. Jesus, for his listeners and for us, is drawing a a picturesque description of the intensity of this woman's nagging the judge. The judge characterizes um, her himself as this woman who is beating me down by her coming. It's in the Greek, it has this, this sense of he's He's giving her, or she is giving him rather, a black eye by her coming. Some of you may remember 
the Three Stooges. This vaudeville act. So as I read this and I read the way Jesus describes her coming at him and coming at him, it reminds me of some of those scraps between Moe and Larry and Curly. And one of them would eventually walk away with a black eye. That's a picture of this type of person. This woman is wearing the judge out. And so, Christian, are, are your prayers marked by that type of, of perseverance? Because you are not this widow. You're not without resources. Or do you, like we so often do, do you quickly give up in your prayer life? Just kind of chalk it off to it's not working. We're, we're such a pragmatic people. I don't know about you, but sometimes, uh, particularly in the spring or in the fall, but in the spring, you'll go out and maybe you're aerating your yard, you're planting seed, you're overseeding your yard, you're praying for rain. But you'll do this on you'll do this on Saturday. You'll go out, you'll aerate, you'll plant the seed, and then what do you do on Sunday morning? What do I do? I go and look. Like for, there's something in me that wants to see a sprout. The next day. So are we persistent? Are we patient like this woman? Ask the Holy Spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you where you are giving up in your prayer life. And then remind yourself that you are not like this widow. You should, yes, you and I should follow her tenacity in prayer. But we are not without resources. You are not without influence. And, and Jesus reminds us of that. And so be reminded of the beautiful way that God sees you. He doesn't see you in these terms. Again, this is a parable of contrast. Look at what Jesus says about the way that God sees his people, the way he sees you. Jesus calls you God's what? God's elect so Jesus isn't describing here unbelievers, the prayer life of unbelievers. He's talking about God's chosen people, God's blood-bought children. It's why what Jesus is describing here is why the Apostle Paul could, could say about his stinging trials that he experienced. We are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. And so Paul is not talking about a trip to the old Anderson County Fair here when he's describing life. Paul didn't lose heart. Why? It's because the Apostle Paul knew that God had set his affections on him before the trials ever entered into his life. Paul reminded himself, as we have to do, of the depth and the intensity, the, the passion of God's love for him, that he had sent his son to die for him, that Christ poured out the blood of his very own heart for the Apostle Paul. And so when those trial set into the Apostle Paul 
while they were real and while they were intense, we see that very clearly in 2 Corinthians 4. That was not the focus of Paul. He understood who he was. He understood that he was one of God's chosen people. He was God's very own. You think about the access that we have to our Father at any time. And I'm reminded of the story of, or at least the illustration of who, who can wake up the king in the land at 3 a.m. in the morning for a cup of water? His child. His child. The king stands ready to answer the call of his child for anything. His son, his daughter. And that's what Jesus wants us to get driven down deep into our hearts. That the Father gave His Son for you. And not only did He give His Son for you to pardon you, but you were also adopted into His family. You're a co-heir with Christ. He chose you. He loves you. Will He not hear you? You are not like the widow. You are not without resources. And so when the lights go out and you're praying in the dark, that does not mean that God is not present that he is not at work, that he is not actively pursuing your best interest in whatever the situation is, that you're not alone, that you're not abandoned. I remember my oldest is with us this morning, but I remember when she was a little girl once and she was having a, a hard night. I don't know what was going on. She just couldn't sleep. She couldn't sleep well. And I remember laying down with her she had one of those single beds, you know, so you're cramped on the bed with your daughter. And, and we'd been laying there maybe, maybe five or six minutes, maybe five minutes, and it was dark in the room. And I'm just laying there, and all of a sudden I feel this little hand. She was touching my, she was touching my face, she was touching my eyes, and she, what was she wanting to know? Was I watching her? Was I awake? That she wanted to make sure that she was safe. Christian, how much safer are you in Christ? So much more. But Jesus says something else that not only is the Father more willing to hear and to answer our prayers than we are to pray them. But Jesus reminds us of this surefire, certain hope that the very king that you can disturb, that you can wake up at 3 a.m. in the morning for a cup of coffee, that very king, Jesus says, is returning. He is reigning right now and he is returning. And when he returns, all that is wrong, all that is broken is going to be made right. When is the Father going to give final justice? It is at the King's coming. When will every weepy eye be dried? It is at the coming of the King. When will every broken heart be made whole? Jesus says in verse 8, it's when the Son of Man comes. I am coming, Jesus says. And when I come, justice is coming with me. Child, I am going 
to set everything right for you. And we know as God's people that when Jesus came the first time, He came to bear injustice. He came to take the punishment that we deserved. He came to take the wrath that we had coming on our behalf. And Jesus is reminding, but there is a day coming when the King will return. When history has its culmination and the King returns or the king returns, and with him comes justice. The blessings that he has secured for his people. And there are days, if you're like me, when you think, this would be a great day. This would be a great day for that return. But in sharing this, he's also reminding us subtly that God wears his own watch. He wears his own watch. And so the timing of his return is, is similar to the timing of our answered prayers. He will do it at the right time. And it will all make sense when it happens. God wears his own watch. Sometimes we'd like for him to borrow our watches. But he wears his own. Now, Paul, Paul takes one type of angle when he's describing the return of Jesus in Philippians chapter 3. He writes in Philippians chapter 3 that when Jesus returns, he writes that he will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. By the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And so when Jesus comes that day, you think about all that is broken in your life. Those temptations, those sufferings, all that stuff is going to become untrue. All of it. You, we see time and time again, what is that day going to look like? We see it in the miracles of Christ. When the dead are called out of the tomb. When the lame walks, when the blind see. Jesus is giving us, and Paul picks up on this in Philippians 3, Jesus is giving us a picture of coming attractions with all of those miracles. Of what that day will be like. Those sinful impulses that you sometimes have and that I have, gone. Those passions, gone. Cornelius Plantiga says this, The return of Christ is good news for people whose lives are filled with bad news. Planting a church, you meet all sorts of people. many of which do not know the Lord. And you ask them about, at all stages of life, by the way, but I'm thinking about individuals that I've spoken to recently that seemingly, just to speak to them, they have no hope beyond this life. 
what a, what a depressing, depressing state of things. And you pray, Lord, give me a bridge in this conversation or in future conversations to bring the good news of the gospel, the hope of Christ, into this life, in a life that is filled with bad news. For those that don't know you, there's no way to go. This is as good as it gets. As good as it gets. And Jesus says, hope is on the way for those who loved him. So lift up your eyes. Pay attention. There is hope in the midst of every dark valley. As one author puts it, the promise of the second coming shows us that the good old days are always ahead of us. Now, if you are on social media, you have these groups like on Facebook. I know I'm in the, I'm in the Anderson Independent Mail. Uh, it's called, Does Anyone Remember? It's a group. And basically, the way I describe those groups, those Facebook groups, is they are good old days groups. Okay, so do you remember things like this? You'll, you'll, they'll, somebody will post a picture maybe of the Osteen Theater. Any of y'all remember the Osteen Theater? You can watch dollar movies in there. And as, you think, as I think about the Osteen Theater, I still can think about the sticking sound of my feet, my shoes, walking across the floor. Okay, it wasn't an IMAX, far from it, but it was glorious. Okay, the Osteen or Giles restaurant, I'm really aging myself now. And so these these are fine groups, I enjoy them, they're fun to look at them. But the whole point of those groups is that the good old, the best days are behind us. The good old days. But with the promise of the second coming, the good old days are ahead of us. The best is yet to come. And there's purpose in the darkness. God is at work in the dark times. The the path home will be marked by seasons of darkness, both darkness and light. But eventually, ultimately, Jesus says the king will return and the light prevails. And so I'm thinking about men like Robert Murray McShane, who said, A dark hour makes Jesus bright. Makes Jesus bright. And you think about over the course of your life, you know that to be the case. When those dark seasons gave way to the brightness of Christ and his nearness. And Jesus says, that's just a taste of what's coming. But notice how he ends, how he concludes. He says, when I return, when I come to make every wrong right, will I find you faithful? Will I find you praying? Will I find you trusting me, believing what I said, walking with me? My grace is available for that. We need tons of grace every single day. We have not one reason to be a hopeless people, Jesus is reminding us, even when our Father tarries in answering the prayers of His people, there is a very good reason for that. 
There's a very good reason. Well, let me close with this. There was a custom among early believers in Africa. Uh, these saints were so very diligent about their prayer lives. In fact, each member of a local community had a special place outside of the village where they could go and where they would go to pray in solitude. These prayer rooms were marked by private footpaths into the bush. You know what I'm talking about. If you ever go fishing in the mountains or in some spot like that, there are footpaths where people have been walking into the river, those places like that. And so that's how these prayer rooms were marked by these footpaths. And so when grass began to grow over the paths, it was evident that someone was not making their way out into the prayer room. That there wasn't a lot of prayer going on. And because these brothers and sisters in Christ cared about the spiritual well-being of their fellow villagers, they would often ask questions. They would notice that if the grass was growing up, prayer was probably not taking place. And the question or the statement would go like this, friend, there is grass on your path. There's grass on your path. Is there grass on your path this morning? Are you tempted to give up? Jesus teaches us this parable to encourage us, to comfort us. He's saying, pray. Your father is not like this judge. You are not like this widow. Don't give up. The love of the Father for you is deep and wide and full, and He is waiting for you to talk to Him. So stick to it. And God's people said, Amen. Let's pray. Father, you are not like that judge, and we are not like that widow. And so, Lord, if there are those today that are tempted to give up, I would ask that you would root and ground them in your love and that we would all know the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of that love in Christ. That you would fill us with your fullness so that we would walk with you in joyful fellowship. That's how we would be found should our King return today. And we ask this in his name. Amen.